Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed, happy, fortunate, and in the Greek is what? Makarios. Say it with me. Happy are those who mourn. Now, at first glance, you've got to scratch your head and you shake your head and say, wait a minute, Michael, how can that be? How can be happy are the unhappy? It doesn't make sense. First, I need to stop here and explain something. The word mourning here, or grieving, is not, let me repeat this, it is not the kind of mourning and grieving that we all experience when we lose our loved ones. That's not what he's talking about. I'm going to come to that in details. It is not even the mourning over financial losses. And I know that can happen. (laughs) It is not even mourning over a loss of a relationship, a breakup of a relationship in marriage or elsewhere. We saw in the last message when he said, blessed, happy, makarios are those who are poor in spirit. He's not talking about those who don't pray and don't read the Bible or feel poor in the spirit. No, no, no. Blessed are those who feel empty without Jesus. Blessed are they when they feel they're so incapable of saving themselves. That is the first step to your blessing. These are blessed because God gives them Himself. God gives them His heaven. God gives them eternal joy. The second step in the superstructure we call the Beatitudes, you're going to find that mourning is the extension of being poor in spirit. It's the extension of being broken on the inside. Mourning takes brokenness a step further. That mourning over sin acts upon our brokenness. That mourning is the expression of our brokenness on the inside. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm confronted with my failures and with my sins, I deeply grieve. I deeply grieve. Oh, it's not just a regret. And I just said, well, I'm remorse. It's not just, oh, I feel bad about doing this. No, 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 no. I grieve over the fact that I have offended my best friend that I have in this whole world, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Jesus. The sad thing about our culture is that we are trying to find comfort everywhere, and we're finding it to be elusive. I mean, some will try to find it in chemical substance. Others try to find it in alcohol. Others are trying to find it in denial of reality and living in fantasy world. Some are trying to find it in traveling far and wide. Some try to find it in excessive work. Sadly, it's like placing a Band-Aid on a tumor. More work. Actual mourning over sin, mourning over our failure and shortcomings, creates a door. Not open the door, creates a door, because it's going to be created. And that door makes it possible for God to enter into our hearts with His glorious presence. Hear me right, please. When we take pride in our sin and parade it, when we are blasé about sin, when we are carefree about sin, 
God has a hard time reaching us. I know it's true in my life. I know it's true in your life. God has a hard time getting our attention. When all is well, when everything is running smoothly, we take God for granted. We take Him for granted. In Luke chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus said, Woe to you who laugh now and you mourn and weep later, talking about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth in a Christless eternity. In John 16, 20, Jesus said to His disciples, You will weep and mourn, talking about the time of the crucifixion, while others will rejoice. You must be thinking, Michael, stop. Just stop here. What kind of a leader is Jesus? What kind of a a motivational teacher or speaker He is? (laughs) What kind of a motivational seminar is this? What kind of an incentive package that he's offering his executives? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Now, before I attempt to answer this question, I want to point to you, there are basically three types of mourning and grieving. Three types. The first one is self-explanatory, but I'll tell you about it, because I think all of us have been there at some point. The first one is a, a destructive mourning that emanates from self-pity. Oh, poor me. Emanates from doubting of God's Word. Emanates from unfulfilled desire. It emanates from a destroyed ambition. I've been there. I know it. In my early days, I know it. And it's self-explanatory. I'm not going to dwell on it. But the second type The second type of mourning is a proper kind of mourning that happens due to circumstances out of our control. This type of mourning is really God's gift to us to help us cope with the disappointments of life. It's really a truly gift of God. The second type of mourning is our safety valve that lets the poisonous air out for a legitimate pain, for a legitimate grief. The second type of mourning is like the balm that you place on the wound. This second type of mourning is God's provision for us to receive healing and to receive solace and to receive comfort from Him. Listen to me. The troubled free life can become shallow. I can hear somebody right now saying, Michael, <laughs> Just, I would really like to experience this shallow life for a while. (laughs) I mean, I'm going from storm to storm to storm to storm. I understand. I really do. Then there is that third type of mourning that I believe Jesus is talking about here. It's the third type. This type of mourning that he meant here in the Beatitude is the type of mourning that receives supernatural comfort from the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Blessed, happy, fortunate, makarios are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, beloved, this type of sorrow he's talking about here is a godly sorrow. And this type of grief and sorrow and mourning is very private. It has to be between you and God. 
If you want to involve somebody, that's fine, but it is something so private between you and God. Blessed, happy, makarios, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the only sorrow that will lead to spiritual growth, to maturity in Christ. In the first beatitude, I said, enter into heaven. That's the beginning step to become saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. The first step to salvation, the very first step, is to begin by feeling of a spiritual bankruptcy. That's the first step. But then you move upward and onward and forward. And that attitude of brokenness doesn't stop the moment you say yes to Jesus. Only those who feel spiritually inadequate without God will become those who mourn over their condition. The Greek word that is used here for mourning, and now Jesus did not speak Greek, he spoke Aramaic, but the Greek word that the writers of the New Testament put is the word pentheo, pentheo. Is that heartfelt, that's why it's private, it's that heartfelt brokenness, mourning. It's the same word actually used in the Greek Old Testament in Genesis 37-34 when Jacob, Israel, was paralyzed by grief when they said to him, his sons lied to him and said, your son Joseph has been devoured by a ferocious animal and he's his coat. It's the kind of grief that Mark 16.10 talks about the disciples felt when they saw the cross and they did not think of the resurrection yet. It is also used in the book of Revelation chapter 18, because prior to the return of Christ is going to be an economic collapse, global economic collapse. It says that the business world leaders, you know, from Benjamin to Bangkok, it's going to be global. It's going to be worldwide. They're going to weep and moan over the collapse of worldwide economy. And that is why you need to know Jesus, because Jesus will walk with us even in the fiery furnace. I feel bad for those people who are living in fear and terror. I really do. I wish I could take every one of them and say, come on, <laughs> no fear in Christ. Live or die. You win either way. This word conveys deep agony over sin. But there's something else I don't want you to miss in this beatitude. Jesus is not saying that happiness is going to come out of the act of mourning itself. That's not what he's saying. But rather that happiness is what comes from what God does in response to that morning. Isn't that amazing? And I hear people talk about the power of prayer. There's no power in prayer. <laughs> There's a power in the God who answers prayer. <laughs> True happiness comes from His forgiveness and healing and restoration that washes over us when we confess and when we grieve over our sin. True comfort can only be experienced by those who are prone to weep over their sin. 
Beloved, I know, and you know, today we glorify sin, even in some churches. But Jesus said only those who mourn over sin will bring about true happiness and true comfort and true joy. Please hear me out. Jesus is not talking about psychological or emotional experience that people talk about now, this uh, catharsis. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. That that can make you feel better, yes, but that's temporary. He is talking about deeper, deeper inner healing and restoration of intimacy with Him, which sin always raptures. Listen to me. The world says you can face your troubles by gritting your teeth a little harder, by lifting up your chin a little higher by plasting a false smile and sound and look happy. Have a positive thought, and good things will happen to you. Yep, that's preached. I heard it. When you have an unconfessed sin, when you're not grieving over that sin and confessing it in your heart, no amount of positive thinking is going to help you. You can have all the positive thoughts you want. When there is an unconfessed sin, all of the self-affirmation that you can muster will not help you. Now, here's a fact. Sin and true happiness, and I'm talking about true happiness, not the ha-ha happiness. (laughs) Sin and true happiness are completely and totally, absolutely, positively incompatible. They're incompatible. They simply cannot coexist together until sin is confessed, until sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, until sin is redeemed. Until then, happiness, true happiness, true joy will be standing out in the cold. Why? Because only those who mourn over sin— Only mourning over sin brings forgiveness. And forgiveness of sin brings true joy, true comfort, and true happiness. One more thing I need to tell you. It's very important. Jesus is not talking about going around looking morbid. They're going around like they've been baptized in vinegar. (laughs) I, I mean, they're walking around looking miserable all the time. See, Jesus is not talking about the person who is humorless. No! In Proverbs 17, 22 said, A joyful heart is a good medicine. But the heart that rejoices in sin is not taking the medicine, it's taking poison. That's why I said it's a very private thing. It's between you and God. Jesus is not talking about despairing type of mourning. No! We the least one ought to be despairing. Jesus not talking about wellowing in self-pity. Oh, poor me type of mourning. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, mourning over sin does not focus on the self at all. Did you get that? That mourning over sin doesn't have anything to do with you. The mourning over sin does not even focus on the sin itself. No. What does it focus on? It focuses on God. In Romans chapter 7, when the Apostle Paul said, Wretched man that I am, 
he immediately goes in chapter 7, verse 25, and he goes on to declare that I have victory in Jesus Christ. And it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ can I have victory. Praise be to God. Paul knew where the victory was. He knew that. Paul knew also that the victory of yesterday will not stretch for tomorrow. Just like the manna in the wilderness, they had to be picked up fresh every morning. Do you want to know if you are growing in Christ or you have become so stagnant? Do you know how to know? Read my lips. It's not sinlessness. Did you read my lips? It's not sinlessness. That's only going to happen in heaven, not here. The mark of spiritual maturity in Christ is growing awareness of the sinfulness of sin. I used to hear that as a young man. Preachers talk about the sinfulness of sin from the book of Hebrews. And I said, what is that? Oh, I know what it is now. Listen to what the apostle John said. If we say, that is, if we claim that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we're telling a lie. (laughs) That's just a blunt way of telling you. Ah, listen to the rest of it. Don't leave the rest out. But if we confess, here it comes, if we confess our sins, He is faithful not only to forgive us all our sins, but washes us cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What a great God we worship, huh? What a great God we worship. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. In ancient Rome, when they had great victory conquering new territories, they brought the captives, the soldiers of their enemies, they brought them back to Rome. But they killed them in a merciless way as we well known at that time. And so they take the enemies, soldiers, captured soldiers, and they tie them together with a dead body, face to face, hand to hand. And that enemy soldier remains until the horrible effluvia would destroy the life of the living victim. One of the Roman historians by the name of Virgil described this cruel and inhumane, grotesque punishment this way. He said, the living and the dead are coupled together face to face, hand to hand, until the living choked with stench, until the living wretched pine away and die. Spiritually speaking, this is what happens when we have a cherished and unconfessed sin inside of us. Until we confess and mourn over sin, it is like being tied to a dead body. When our mourning over sin rises up to heaven, let me tell you, in the authority of God's Word, and I testify personally, when your confession rises up to heaven, Jesus promised of His comfort and peace is going to come by return mail. Won't take long. Immediately. I want to finish by asking you a question. What's hindering you from mourning, confessing your sin? What's stopping you? I don't know. Only you can answer that in the privacy of your own thought. You're the only, every individual 
can answer that themselves. Is it pride? Is it conceit? Is it deception, self-deception? Because conceit and self-deception tells us there's nothing in your life that needs to be confessed or mourned over. Nothing. You're a good person. The problem is with the others. <laughs> oh, it's a problem with the others. Not with you. The problem is with your spouse. The problem is with your parents. The problem is with your children. The problem is with your boss. The problem with these other Christians. Conceit, self-deception says, you have nothing to mourn over. Sometimes I hear people who are up to their eyeballs in sin, and they'll say, this is just the way everybody lives that way now. It's all changed from the days of the Bible. Sure, my sin is bad, but it's not as bad as many others. <laughs> as long as they think that way, they'll never receive the comfort of the paraclete. Only when you come in confession and mourning. Let me ask you this. This is very personal now. If the Holy Spirit brought you under conviction, I plead before God, don't shrug it off. Don't shrug it off. God wants and longs to comfort you. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.